0: I do. Okay, go ahead. So <clears throat> we went and saw a movie together this last week mm-hmm. um, that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And we didn't get to talk about this much the night that we went and saw this movie. When we walked in, we handed our tickets to the girl um, who's tearing out the stubs. Right. Do you remember she was reading a book? Yeah. Do you remember me noticeably craning my neck to read the title of the book? No. Okay.
1: I remember you bringing it up as soon as you did it, though.
0: Right. So I brought it up, but it stuck with me. Right. Okay. So basically, the situation was, it's a Thursday night. There's nobody there. This girl's reading a book. And we hand her our tickets. And I craned my neck to try and read. I thought it was um, "Go Set a Watchman. Okay. But when I really looked at the cover, I realized quickly it wasn't Ghost at a Watchman, And I was going to mention something
1: if it was Ghost right, at a yeah. Watchmen. Are you going to like address? I mean, this is like a teenage girl, right?
0: Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't thinking about her age. I'm not a creep. I just <laughs> I just thought I saw somebody well, I'm reading. I'm just
1: assuming because she's working in a movie theater. Okay, maybe. And my assumption after that would be like there's no way some high school student is reading Ghost at a Watchman.
0: I don't know. I don't know kids these days. Um, she could be a hipster ahead of Unless her time.
1: It's for an assignment or something.
0: Right. So I look and I realize quickly it's not Go Say a Watchman and the type is all kind of mm-hmm. off, right? It's not just a clear title. And by this time, the tickets have been ripped. It's time to be moving on. And I haven't yet fully read the title. Right. But I just decide to just keep walking. And whatever. And then it quickly hits me like I was just somebody who craned my neck to read the title of a book and then didn't say anything about it. Mm -hmm. I just kept walking and how that would feel if somebody did that to me. Mm -hmm. And it started making me feel like, you know, (laughs) it wasn't really self conscious Mm -hmm. and feeling like I crossed a line somewhere, but I don't know where the line is. So my question to you is, number one, is it okay for me to read the title of the book you're reading in public, Mm -hmm. period? Any book anybody's reading in public, do I have the right to just read, stare until I see what book they're reading? Yeah, Okay. of course. All right, so that's fine. So it's fine that I, do I have the right to crane my neck and make it obvious that I'm trying to read the title of their book?
1: Uh, I mean or, or should
0: I have this societal decency.
1: Right. That's to it, that keep is a little it. dramatic for my tastes but Well look I the mean, who book cares? was at a funny angle. Sure. So I had to yeah. okay.
0: Lastly, if I do make it obvious that I'm reading the title of their book, mm-hmm. do I then have the responsibility to say something?
1: No. Because the way I'm thinking of it is like you're free to read whatever is on somebody's t-shirt, right? But you don't bring that up to everybody, you see. Well,
0: some t-shirts explicitly say, don't read me. (laughs) What do you do with that?
1: Well, how am I supposed to know not to read the t-shirt if I don't read the t-shirt? It's a catch-22. Right.
0: So I feel like in really thinking about this for a few days now, I feel like the problem where, where I messed up was I didn't say anything. I feel like society, societally, Mm -hmm. you owe it to the person that you're obviously reading the title of the book of. Some comment on, is it good? Oh, I know that author, whatever it is. Because if I just look and keep walking, number one, that can feel like judgmental. Like, oh, they read the title of this book and Mm what it's not worth just saying anything after that. Mm -hmm. So it can feel very dismissive. And it is kind of weird. It's weird that somebody would go through all the trouble of reading a title to then literally just keep walking.
1: I don't, I mean, I don't see it as weird. I mean, you're talking to the, to a robot. Right. The king of not speaking to people in public. Right. But I don't see any issue with it. I wouldn't necessarily want somebody to say something to me about the title of my book, I guess.
0: I think I'm asking the wrong person.
1: <laughs> I mean, potentially, but I really don't see it as... I mean, part of reading, part of having a book, I mean, that's that was when a lot of people bemoan the rise of Kindles, right? They One of the things they talk about is not being able to tell what somebody else is reading. Mm-hmm. So it's like a expected thing, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're reading a book in public... You're going to assume that people are going to be looking at the title of that book, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a given.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess now it, if
1: you're going to be a freak about it right. and crane your neck and <laughs> all this weird stuff that you're doing, that's another story.
0: Right? It's just like clothes, right? You wear clothes, and somebody could say, "Hey, nice clothes. Where'd you get those shoes or whatever?" Right? That's fine. Now, if somebody cranes their neck to get a better angle, you know, yeah. at looking at your clothes, you're going to be like. Calm down. Yeah,
1: what's this Just, freak doing?
0: What's this, all right? Let's <laughs> dial it back a little bit. I've been living with this for a few days. Okay, I'm very, I'm very fragile.
1: So let's talk about the movie that we actually went on to watch after your uh Peeping Tom episode <laughs> in the movie theater. Uh The Gift is a movie directed by
0: Joel Edgerton. Joel
1: Edgerton, right? Who's an Australian actor. Mm-hmm. Um he looks like Conan. Yeah, I guess he kind of does. To me. Yeah uh The basic setup of the movie is Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall Rebecca Hall move are married move to San Francisco I mm-hmm. guess because he's gotten a promotion once uh, they move out there pr- pretty soon after they move out there uh, somebody from Jason Bateman's past shows up and then the movie goes on from there as spoiler free as a, as I can possibly be. Um, so what did you think of the movie? I really liked
0: it. It's, it's something that has kind of stuck with me for the days after we watched it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the sign of a good movie. I'll say this movie, like how do you compete with mission Impossible five, no matter how good the gift is, Mm -hmm. how do you get, and even though going into it, I knew I would like The Gift more than Mission Impossible 5. Mm-hmm. I still going in wasn't terribly excited to see it because mm-hmm. it's called The Gift. Was well, and- this
1: like a a wide release movie? hmm Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. But it's like, I mean, how I, I want to see what business is doing because it's a good movie, but it's not something that you would think, I have to see this in the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you saw both Mission Possible Five and this, which one did you like better
1: uh this I like right. the gift better
0: yeah i feel I feel like the gift is generally going to be regarded as the better film, but how can it compete against something that offers a guy hanging out of a plane right taking off you know? yeah
1: the gift is also like this is something I thought about while watching it. It is totally like an adult movie. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in the sense of like I mean that in the sense of like when I was a kid, these are the types of movies I would you imagine parents. my parents watching. Exactly. You know what I mean?
0: I think I think we just made it to the demographic for this. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're on the lower <laughs> end, but I totally agree with you. This is this is the movie that we'll be watching regularly in about 10 years. Right.
1: Um I thought the movie was good. There's Uh, I guess it's being marketed as a twist. I've heard a few people Mm -hmm. talk about it randomly, and they always say something about the twist. I didn't think there was a huge twist to the movie. No. Um, I think that's starting to be more of a marketing thing than anything. I'm I'm really having a problem with movie marketing because you know, It Follows
0: is the scariest movie of all time. Mm. Babadook will scare the mm-hmm. hell out of you. And, you know, this movie is the funniest movie ever, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all these blurbs are part of a larger review, but still that review will touch on those hyperbolic statements. And then you watch it and you go, okay. I mean, yeah, that was, let's temper our expectations a little bit. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, The get, the Gift is a solid, sturdy thriller. yeah. You know, it's not life changing. It's nothing right. more than that, but yeah. it's really smart about what it does.
1: Yeah. And my biggest um, critique of the movie would be that once it starts to sort of uh, ramp up, once it has to kind of resolve everything, it ends up sort of ditching. It starts to just sort of like present a bunch of different ideas and ditching all of them mm-hmm. and ultimately going with probably the most unsatisfactory of all of those, which spoiler alert, is just that um, Joel Edgerton who plays a guy named Gordon um, is a, is an actual, he's just an actual creep. Right. And I feel like w- if you would have left um, his uh, reveal out of it, or it left it more ambiguous maybe it would have drawn more attention to the other messages of the movie instead it just it's it's just is like I think that's the twist most people are talking about is um him breaking into the house right when she or uh he like put something in her drink right mm-hmm. and I feel like for me that it is an unnecessary like, I just feel like it takes all of the attention away from the other aspects of the movie, which were way more interesting of Jason Bateman, like not being a good person. Right. Or of the it seems to be saying some stuff about corporate culture. But it's also like I said, it it it, it kind of at the end, it kind of just starts throwing everything mm-hmm. out there and it doesn't mm-hmm. stick with anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say and again, not to just compare everything to something else but I did think about Gone Baby Gone Mm -hmm. a lot watching this film. And I think they both tackle kind of a similar, taking a well-worn structure and then kind of twisting it a little bit, flipping it on its head. Gone Baby Gone really sticks with its premise all the way through. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what you're mentioning where Gone Baby Gone knows what it's saying about, like it knows the conundrum it wants to leave you with about parenting mm-hmm. and about you know what right do we have to determine who is a fit parent who is not a fit mm-hmm. parent and what do you do if you're in a position to affect that um this film i agree by the end it's just saying okay well about this 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 and this and it it broadens its scope outside of really focusing on one issue so the conundrum it leaves you with is like one of a few, and it's not hit as hard. Mm -hmm. So further spoiler alert, um, the main question the rest of the film is, while Gordo slipped something into Rebecca Hall's drink, Mm -hmm. and she passed out, did he rape her or not? Mm -hmm. And this child that she's carrying, it could be his, it could also be Jason Bateman's. Mm And he presents that as basically the final question for Jason Bateman's character, mm-hmm. right? Is that your child or mine? Mm-hmm. Did I touch her or did I not? And he right. films himself all the way up until the act and right. cuts off the camera. Yeah. So so I mean, I think that that's an interesting question, but I agree with you that that wasn't the fundamental question they were exploring throughout the whole mm-hmm. It was just like a a
1: lot of it was about bullying. Right. It was just like, it was about corporate, you know, like moving up the corporate ladder. Right. Stuff like that.
0: Right. And I think it was also about relationship dynamics where you have Rebecca Hall, who is a recovering kind of, not that there's any grading of addict, Mm -hmm. but she's an addict dealing with a pill addiction. Mm -hmm. And, how Jason Bateman treats her and responds to her, I think it's an interesting dynamic, yeah, where he doesn't realize the harm that he's doing and how patronizing he is towards her, yeah, um, so I thought all that
1: was great. What do you think of Jason Bateman by the way, while we're on I it? thought he was I thought he was good, I mean, to me, he doesn't play he, he i mean he's playing whatever his character from arrest development was just minus the jokes okay did you read it's the that? the same performance did you I mean, read mean he that? plays the same guy
0: yeah did you read that online anywhere uh-uh. okay I I this I actually kind of got upset about this I was gonna bring uh-huh. it up <laughs> um, because I thought Jason Bateman was great
1: yeah I thought he was good I, too yeah. but he just he plays the same character in everything
0: so I was thinking and something that I was actually like really... Not proud of myself, but something I was like, oh, I really want to talk about this is the fact that Jason Bateman, what what I kept wondering, like, what is creeping me out so much Mm. about this guy and everything, and it's that he is like Michael Bluth, but in the real world, instead of the heightened comedy world, but it's the same kind of character, but it's like his dark side, and then you... I've read... I didn't even read. I think I was scrolling on Twitter. And it was like, somebody was just like, how Jason Bateman um, shows the dark side of Michael Bluth Mm -hmm. in The Gift. And I was like, is that no longer my original idea? You know? (laughs) Like, because I've read that now, even though I thought at first, if I ever bring it up, like, especially on this, I always have to credit, like, oh, hey, by the way, I read this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's... A, I mean, I don't think it's a big revelation, to be honest. It, it just is like, the way I see it, and I mean, it's not just this in Arrested Development. He plays kind of the same thing in Juno, or, I mean, pretty much whatever else he's in. He's just this kind of like, I mean, this is, I guess this would be the realistic version of Michael Bluth, right? It's like, yeah, like, Michael Bluth is kind a kind of a condescending jerk and the rest of the development that's played for laughs. Right. And in the gift it's played as he's a condescending, a slightly condescending jerk. Jerk. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, I thought he was great. I think he does a great job. Yeah. I think, I think he
0: really, really sells it. And when the ending starts ramping up, it's important for him to sell his reaction to everything. I think he does a a really great job. So, Mm I think it's worthy to just watch him, you know, in this, in this role. And to me, it seems like a calling card where you can see a actor moving into his midlife crisis where he's just like, am I going to make horrible bosses? Mm-hmm. Three, three four or five. <laughs> yeah. If I've, is this going to, am I going to turn into just, you know, the Robin Williams of the last few years, mm-hmm. you know, where you're just pumping out kind of mediocre comedy dramas yeah. You know, two a year. And I feel like this is maybe, I feel like this is Jason Bateman. And again, I'm totally reading into it, but mm-hmm. being like, give me something. You right. know, like I'm not, I don't want to make Horrible Bosses 5 right, at all.
1: Um, Something that I had thought about after the movie was over, and this is just pure speculation, of course. What did you think? So, basic premise of the movie, like we said. Jason Bateman, Rebecca Hall, moved to San Francisco. This guy, Gordon, shows up, went to high school with Jason Bateman. They have some kind of weird past that you don't really know about till towards the end of the movie. Uh, But what's weird about it is he keeps showing up at their new house. First of all, he finds their new house without ever being given their address. He shows up. He starts giving them all these gifts He keeps coming around. They're not really sure why. He seems kind of like a creep. At one point, he is in the house with Rebecca Hall when Jason Bateman is at work, which is when he mostly shows up when Jason Bateman's not there. And he sees on the refrigerator a little thing where he sees his name scratched out Gordon, Gordo, sorry, and it's replaced with weirdo because his nickname in high school was Gordo the weirdo. So my question is, what was Gordon's motivations before he saw that? Was he, was he a creep from the beginning? Did he have this master plan for the, from the beginning? Or was he genuinely trying to make a connection? And was that a tipping point? Did you think about that? Oh, that was something that... Totally. Yeah, That's one thing that I enjoy about movies like this. I think about it all the time.
0: Because I think a lot of times the creep is the one who's being like overly like accommodating and giving. And, yeah. and then something switches when they're rejected and they turn. But I think all the time, like, what if you just kept accepting gifts. (laughs) What if you're just like, great, Gordo, thanks. You know what honestly made me think of is the cable guy. You know, like there's an element where Jim Carrey's character in the cable guy goes so over the top that you just couldn't keep it up. Mm -hmm. But I I just kept thinking like, what if you just kept saying yes to a character like that? Mm -hmm. You know, You'd, you'd have all this stuff, you know, and I think in the case of Gordo the trade-off would be far better. Mm -hmm. You'd be getting wine, you'd be getting whatever. Mm -hmm. I I tend to put Gordo on the sliding scale. Oh, I'm sliding scaling everything tonight, but Mm -hmm. on the low end. I think Gordo might actually be worth the occasional dinner and the drop by for the
1: uncomfortableness.
0: Right. For like setting up your home theater and giving you wine and all that stuff. Giving you fish. I don't I don't get the sense that Gordo would have, you know, lost it. Mm-hmm. I think that he went in knowing kind of who Jason Bateman was and Jason Bateman confirmed it. Mm-hmm. But I think, I do believe his letter when he wrote, he was willing to let bygones be bygones. Like, I really think if Jason Bateman had, like, opened up to him um, that he would have, at most he maybe would brought up and wanted an apology, but mm-hmm. I think he would have moved on. Mm-hmm. That's That was my feeling. What about you?
1: I guess it makes sense. It just is the the problem is he goes so far with it by the end. And I mean I guess he does um not too um long after that when he kidnaps their dog, allegedly. Right. Um I don't know. I guess I guess the reason I asked is because I had no no idea. Yeah, I well, didn't really have an idea. <clears throat>
0: the last thing I'll say to defend my point is, um, he what what he's doing is extremely benign, yeah. and even when he does do something really creepy, which is the dinner, that's still. I think within the purview of a
1: guy who's psychologically damaged, Mm -hmm. but
0: is not malicious. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I will say, I think the only thing that made him creepy up until when he started doing actual creepy things was that you could tell there was some sort of unspoken past between him and Jason Bateman, right? There was some sort of, Right, the uncomfortableness was not just with Gordon, right? It was with Gordon and Jason Bateman's character. That is where the (coughs) uncomfortableness came from, and so I think that's what may be throwing me off. But yeah, the stuff he did was was maybe a little like, uh, like like maybe like on the low end of desperate, right?
0: Yeah, desperate for connection. I right. mean, he was really wounded by this guy, and right. I think that he he was desperate to kind of re, kind of make that connection again, see what kind of man, yeah, Jason Bateman was. I what I did like too is I like how Gordo brought out the inherent dickishness of mm-hmm. Jason Bateman's character. Like mm-hmm. just having Gordo in the premise from scene one, you start seeing Jason Bateman just really. Quickly falling back into those old patterns of behavior. Yeah. And I love how quickly he revealed that in Jason Bateman, where before Gordo appears, he seems just like a really nice, cool dude. Mm-hmm. And he gets around the object of his bullying, and it's just you start seeing this other side of him come out. And mm-hmm. I thought, again, Jason Bateman did a great job of kind of
1: revealing that. What did you think of the scene in the parking garage where he beats him up? where Jason Bateman beats up Joel Edgerton.
0: The one reason why I liked it is because that's the scene where Joel Edgerton pulls out a knife and stabs Jason Bateman's character in Mm -hmm. a standard kind of creepy guy film, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And instead it's where this creep who you're waiting to get violent just gets (laughs) further pummeled and humiliated. Um,
1: So, was, yeah. yeah, but that was a little off because like Joel Edgerton's kind of a big dude and Jason Bateman is not. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah.
0: But but I mean, you know, again, I think they're kind of saying something about the power dynamics sure. of the yeah. bullied and sure. the bully.
1: Yeah. That scene, it was a little, a little off for me. But yeah, it, it wasn't terrible. Um, Yeah. So the gift.
0: It's a gift in August. Sure. It's an August cinematic gift.
1: Something else we both watched is a found footage movie. A found footage MTV film
0: was MTV. I think it's just
1: like bought by MTV or something. Yeah, called Unfriended. Um, and it is a like I said, it's a found footage movie again with Unfriended. Um, Project it Almanac. F- it follows. The Duke. I feel like all these movies get labeled as scary movies, whatever, horror films. I don't think Unfriended is, first of all, scary in the slightest, <laughs> right? And I also don't really think it could be considered a horror movie, maybe. I mean, I guess it is just by default. Yeah. But there's not really much to it, I guess.
0: I, I had a lot of fun with it.
1: Yeah. Um, but so it's a found footage movie. The entire thing takes place. ...on a girl's laptop screen. So the only thing you ever see is this girl's MacBook screen, and you're seeing her Skype windows, all this stuff.
0: So technically, it's not found footage.
1: Right, Uh, yeah. And that premise, I feel like, sounds a little boring. Mm -hmm. I think it is maybe a boring premise, but I was really impressed with their, like... Commitment? (laughs) Commitment to it. And, like, they follow it through... Like literally until the last shot and then they lose it on the last shot, of course. But I was really impressed with just the commitment to that, first of all. And I was really impressed also with the fact that outside of like some extra sound effects, they're not manipulating any of the software at all. It's Mm -hmm. not like it's all stuff you're familiar with. It's all stuff you've used before. It's all Facebook stuff. Skype, Skype, iMessages, all this, it's just default stuff. It's all in real time. So that alone for me is like, it's impressive, mm-hmm. right? I admire the film for that, whether I'd like it as a movie or not. Right. Um, and I think when we talked about it briefly before, you described it as something as like it's the perfect movie to watch and like do other things. Right? It's like there's moments where you're like, okay, I cannot pay attention to this yeah, for a couple yeah. minutes.
0: I think I think ideally it's the perfect film to watch in a group. Yeah. And like talk through it. And as an issue of bullying comes up, talk about bullying. When it's revealed how they bullied this, I guess we should set up the set up the premise, yeah, okay. right? So
1: the premise is that um, this video. A a video goes viral, right? And the videos of this girl. Don't spoil it yet. At a party, right? Right. And you don't, as the viewer, you don't know what the video is until towards the end of the movie. All you know is that this video went viral. It caused the girl to then kill herself. To commit suicide. The movie takes place a year later to the day. um, And you're basically just in this group of friends Skype chat. Which is something that teenagers do. right? Yeah. Um, and a mysterious figure is in the Skype chat that they can't get rid of. right? And then it starts controlling different things. That's the basic setup mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, so yeah, it explores sort of, I guess, similar themes as The Gift. Where it explores bullying, mm-hmm. um, all these different things. Uh, but all of that, for me, all that stuff was kind of ancillary to seeing how they just kept it on this girl's screen the whole time. Right, just, that yeah. was actually that was honestly the most uh, interesting yes. aspect of the movie to me.
0: There, there are there are two types of films that I think you need to watch in order to appreciate Unfriended. One is another film that tries to do this called Open Windows with Elijah Wood and right. Sasha Grey, yeah. which is a nightmare. And the issue, <laughs> one of the issues, is. Whatever you know, software they're using to try and keep it on this computer screen or whatever does not exist. It's all just like mm-hmm. animated for the movie. So right. the guy clearly either doesn't use Skype or didn't have the rights to it or whatever. And what the workaround to come up is like what pro- what um, program is mm-hmm. that? Like, I don't understand how he's moving through all these programs and doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But the film is trying to be like, look what what he's doing and look what we're doing. It's like, yeah, you're making things up and you're making me watch it happen on a computer screen. Like that's not at all interesting. That breaks whatever fourth wall you're trying to create, you know? So that's one. The other one is, is sports movies that feature sports so the oh, last okay. yeah the last one that, that came to mind um was oh man I can't remember what what film it is but it's usually where a film involves sports mm-hmm. as like a guy watching a player oh it was um the Mark Wahlberg the gambler Mm -hmm. The gambler.
1: Right, I remember you telling me about that. Yes, the gambler has a scene
0: (laughs) where he's watching like his college sports guy Mm -hmm. that he's trying to bet on, and the footage of this guy playing this college basketball game is from somebody who's never seen a college basketball game shot before on TV because it doesn't look like a college basketball game at all. And so when you have that kind of uncanny valley of like, what kind of a sports game is that? And what kind of uh, a program is that it breaks the mood of whatever you're trying to build, right? The reality of the scene. Right. Then you watch unfriended where you have just this commitment to the technology that people use and how can we use it to tell our story and let's commit to it. And it's like, it's like a, yeah, a fresh vision yeah. You know, in this movie called Unfriended, which is right. a terrible name, yeah. you know?
1: yeah. Not only is it it's a terrible name, first period, just because it's a terrible word, I guess. It also, like, it has, I mean, it has, I guess, a, a one connection to the movie, but it's just like, it is in no way representative of what the movie is. Right. right, right. Here's the thing that always gets me about the technology stuff, is it seems, first of all, here's my first problem with it. Anytime you see like texting or anything like that technology in movies, especially texting, let's take, let's talk about texting. I'm gonna say 99.999 repeating percent of the people who are watching your movie text on their cell phones. So they all know what it looks like yes. and know how your phone interacts with the text message, and
0: how fast you can actually right. type your. So when
1: message. you see it in the, in movies and it's like, so it like it's just like a big blue thing <laughs> pops up and it says from, um, John, hi. It's just like, that's not how text messages work. You know what I mean? That's my first issue. My second issue is like, it seems like you're making extra work for yourself, right? Yeah. Just have a random crew member text your star This message, right? And rename the contact and the phone. Like, you're just making so much work for yourself. Like, with Open Windows, it's like, why are you creating all of this fake software when there are very real versions that you can use, like, for free? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it just seems so redundant. Right. So, anyways. So, uh, Unfriended, did you like the actual... Yeah, again. Because a lot of the stuff I've read is like... This movie's really stupid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this is a good movie to watch as a group, to talk through, to laugh at, to engage with as it goes on. If you go in there thinking, you know, scare me, be logical. Right. Why are these kids on their computers for as long as they are? The film does enough to distract you from those questions, I think. Mm -hmm. It doesn't answer them, but just says, Hey, we're going to keep this moving at such a pace that you're not really going to be thinking about it too much. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a extended scene with one of the, um, friends who brings out a gun and has to look threatening or whatever, where I was like, Mm -hmm. that's another time where I was like, let's uh, get some snacks. Let's just, you know, (laughs) let's see when he's done parading around uh, his house with this gun. Um, Moments like that where you're like, okay, but for the most part, I thought it just kept moving at such a pace.
1: It's not mm-hmm. even right uh, hour and thirty minutes, right? Right. It's like an hour and twenty minutes, maybe. Yeah. yeah it's, so it's, it's short.
0: So I I don't think the film slowed down enough to make you ask those questions, and that's the problem they have when a film loses momentum enough that it makes me think about that. Right. But yeah, you're never going to... In any found footage, you're never going to be able to answer the question, why are they still recording? Right. And it's because we need a movie. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to just go with it. So yeah, Unfriended, it definitely isn't as egregious as other... As a, the last hundred other films that I've watched in that genre. Right.
1: So do you... So the the central theme of the movie, if there is a central theme, I think would be bullying right mm-hmm. do you think the movie has anything to say about bullying or do you think it is just using bullying as of sort of a skeleton to make this interesting uh experience experiment and found footage
0: i think it has something to say about bullying to a 13 year old mm-hmm. potentially mm-hmm. maybe um, it has nothing to say of substance at all about mm-hmm. bullying, to my mind.
1: So, what did you think of the ending? Do you think the ending? So, the the movie ends. Spoiler alert you you spent you've spent let's say the movie seventy minutes long. You've spent sixty nine minutes and thirty seconds on this girl's screen. I'm sorry. You've spent sixty nine minutes and fifty five seconds on this girl's screen. The last five seconds of the movie is uh, the ghost of this girl who committed suicide, I guess, closing the laptop and jumping at the what I guess is now the camera. Mm -hmm. Right. The girl. Effectively. Right. Ending the found footage part of it. Does that does first of all, does her death mean anything to you does it ruin any sort of message the movie was trying to make no i mean when i I think about the
0: message what they're trying to say number one is they're saying the girl who was bullied was actually kind of a bully herself right and that was at least an interesting idea to address is do you have the right to bully Mm -hmm. a bully you know um and how the friends talk about each other, I thought hinted at another idea mm-hmm. where, you know, I don't experience gossip a lot, but when I've been around it, gossip, you think is like, it's harmless. It's just right. like, yeah, you're saying whatever about somebody. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. like that person, but real gossip is actually like mm-hmm. horrific right. when you, when you actually <laughs> are seeing it happen. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. And to see how these friends casually talk about one another, you know who their friends, quote unquote, but still they're they're, they're all terrible people. Basically, yeah, this is a movie yeah. of nothing but terrible. People. Yeah, nothing but terrible people. It, but again, it doesn't it doesn't support any of those ideas. It brings it up, but it doesn't really go anywhere with them. So I didn't feel anything about the girl. I didn't feel anything about the kids who died, really, mm. um, and. Therefore, I don't think I really cared about that final scene other than saying, like, well, there's your jump scare to end end it all and fine. Mm -hmm. That's fine for the genre. Mm -hmm. Did did it stand out
1: to you? Uh, Yeah, it felt a little off message, kind of. I mean, as much... I mean, I agree with you. As much of a message as there was, it just kind of felt like... To me, it just seemed like... And I guess this is kind of depends on your take of the kids. Are they all just terrible, gossipy teenagers, um, you're following this girl who's basically the main character, whose laptop you're watching the entire time. And she's... Throughout the course of it, She has be, she's being aired out for saying terrible things and for ultimately being the impetus of all of this, right? Because mm-hmm. she po- is the one that posted the video.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so if you believe... That she's actually that she actually feels terrible for all these things, like she's acting like she does in the movie, then it seems to me like letting her live at the end would be a the worse worst. punishment than Absolutely. killing her. Absolutely. But then you have, but then you know she just gets killed, and it feels like it's more of just like, just for the jump scare.
0: Exactly. No. 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 And that's exactly it. They they had an ability to make to make more of a point and mm-hmm. they never chose to do it. Right. Which is fine. That that's a decision. And for the intended audience, I don't think that they were really thinking about that. I, I wonder if they knew they were making as good a film as they were. Yeah. Where they get to the end. It's like, like we, we almost had something here. <laughs> we did this. We did this. This is amazing. <laughs> we we actually could have gone further. This is, uh, this is great. You know, where they actually overachieved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I was thinking about, thinking about that at the end. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, make her live mm-hmm. and you know, deal with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Death is an easy way out. Right. I also, they really did not need to even try to explain it. And and I took that, probably the dumbest thing is the link that her boyfriend sends her where he's like, check this out. And it's like, mm-hmm. the dead haunt the mm-hmm. um, computer. They kind of treat that as the real explanation, right? <laughs> which I wanted to say, you guys could have really, again, made a case for how misinformation spreads on the internet, mm-hmm. that here's somebody who's swayed by this, Who who is doing this? Who's vetting this site, right? Mm-hmm. Who is saying all this stuff? And just anonymous people who are like, yeah, there's this old wives tale of this mm-hmm. happening. But the movie tried to treat it as like, she's referencing that for like help. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. How do I get rid of this? You know, and she <laughs> yeah. goes to that site.
1: Yeah, you watched the movie called Man from Reno.
0: I did. So I watched Man from Reno.
1: I saw you gave it a good review.
0: I did. I on think Letterboxd. I only. Yeah, I think I only gave it a starved review. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm because I'm working on the words that right. I want to say about it. Um. So basically, Man from Reno is an independent film mm-hmm. that follows a small town sh- sheriff outside of San Francisco, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. San Francisco. And a writer from Japan who meets a man from Japan Mm -hmm. and he's kind of mysterious and he leaves a bag with her and she has to kind of figure out what's, what's he all about. Right. Um, that's really all I want to say now. Man from Reno has almost everything I'm looking for an in independent film. One of the main things is an ending. I find in a lot of independent films, especially thrillers, there is no ending and it frustrates the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. There's a movie called cold weather that a lot of people love mm-hmm. and it's an independent film. And it's another one of these, like m- is it a mystery? Is it not a mystery? That's mumble core kind of mm-hmm. follow this guy around and it get it finally introduces something that's interesting literally 5 minutes before the ending and then just ends mm-hmm. and literally just ends in the middle of a finale mm-hmm. and it's the extreme it makes me feel like it's just such cynical filmmaking mm-hmm. where an independent filmmaker will have an idea and then purposely you know withhold any genre tropes or ending at all mm-hmm. for What feels like a middle finger, but is, you know, probably like I'm subverting your expectations and blah, blah, blah or whatever. Man from Reno is a breath of fresh air because it actually says we have a great story here with a great ending. It's a great mystery. And we're going to show you everything. Mm -hmm. Right. We're not going to like withhold from you and we're going to leave it in a satisfying place for all the characters involved, Mm -hmm. which I think is really hard to do. And the more films I watch, the more I realize endings are super difficult. So for Man from Reno to have a satisfying ending to me is like boosts it way up the Mm -hmm. list of films of the year for me that I've seen. But then beneath that, you have another thing that I love, which is, um, and something independent film can do a lot is expose you to a culture you don't know. So this exposes you to kind of Japanese culture in America. So mm-hmm. I went to school in Texas and the school I went to had a high South Korean population. Mm-hmm. So I would be seeing classes with a lot of students who barely spoke my language, who were getting better grades than I was. <laughs> and they had their own communities. They studied in their own communities. Right. They socialized in their own communities And I always wondered what their experience was like in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. You're coming from Mm -hmm. South Korea to Texas to study Mm -hmm. and then going back to South Korea. But what's their experience like of Fort Worth, you know? And um, this film kind of touches on that. We have this Japanese author bumping into this Japanese man and they're talking about San Francisco and American culture and what it's like for them. And I found that super fascinating and interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you have this thriller aspect, this mystery thriller aspect layered on top of it. And you have a character actor who has deserved a starring role for a long time. Who's finally getting his due as the sheriff. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, man from Reno, I, I absolutely cannot recommend highly enough. And in terms of, you know, if I compare it to, you know, the gift, it's better than the gift because the gift, I think, falls back on on those kind of even though it subverts the genre a little bit, it falls back on the standard Hollywood tropes, mm-hmm. I feel like. And some of that is just like by seeing the name actors in it. It's just you can kind of pigeonhole it a little yeah. easier. Man from Reno, you can't really pigeonhole because you don't know. These actors, so you can't anticipate how this person's going to respond or react or who is meant to play what in what role, whereas Mm -hmm. as the gift starts playing out, you see exactly what Jason Bateman's supposed to be. And you're thinking about rest of development. You're thinking about what they're trying to play with that in terms of his persona. You have no kind of clue on this one because you don't know anybody. And it really, I think, is satisfying in that way where you can't predict what the ending is. And it's just confusing enough to keep you engaged mm-hmm. yet. You can, you can understand the mystery. So, yeah.
1: and is this another, it. uh, how'd you watch it?
0: Voodoo. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we rented it cause we were, I'd heard people writing about it mm-hmm. and it was, it's another fact. It's so interesting to me too, how distribution works with film because this is a film that, played at some film festivals and was not picked up. And people were like, well, another movie that I'll have only seen. Cause you know, I went to a a festival, but no one else right. will get to see. Yeah. And literally from the time of like, I feel like I can find a tweet going back a week and a half ago where somebody's like, where's man from Reno? Like still no distribution to there it is on voodoo. And I'm like, what? what? Mm-hmm. Or, or Xbox, I think it was through the Xbox store. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how does that, distribution nowadays is so weird
1: yeah where well, it just seems like it should be easier right because of the digital platforms
0: yeah but as i've been more and more interested in festivals and people experience it i see all the time people like hope you'll get to see this one not sure if you will and right. i'm like do you know the landscape <laughs> that movie literally could be available for download next week right. if the right person gets their hands on it's like right. netflix just bought it and there it is you know yeah.
1: Yeah, and even then, I would say most of those movies, there's always like, you just go the Louis C.K. route, right? Where she's like, we didn't get a distribution deal, so here it's on our website, give us five bucks. That's how
0: we watch Coherence, right? right. We, we both made exactly. through the website. Yeah. So,
1: uh, You played a game in the vein of her story mm-hmm. called Contradiction, mm-hmm. and remind me again how you played it? So I downloaded it through uh, Steam. Okay, so it's not a mobile game.
0: No. Okay. Well, I think it's meant to be played on the iPad.
1: Oh, that's right. That's yes. right. Because you're telling me about, a little bit about the controls.
0: Yes. So I first heard about it on a review through Polygon. Mm-hmm. And the reviewer was basically, basically, I forget what he calls it, but this is basically a live action mystery game. Um, It's called Contradiction, a spot the liar, a murder mystery tale or whatever. Mm-hmm. And all the scenes are filmed and so you're navigating this inspector through this small village mm-hmm. as he's trying to find out about this girl who was drowned or drowned a week before mm-hmm. and he has until midnight and i was like is this some kind of you know um english law that I don't know about where (laughs) an inspector only has like a week till at midnight to solve. I think there is a reason that he gave that I totally forgot Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the game, but he has until midnight and you start at like six o'clock or something. So you're navigating him up and down this road and into these woods as he's talking to all these different people. And with every interview you get, Like, if he finds a piece of paper, Mm -hmm. he can now go ask everybody about that piece of paper. And their answers will reveal contradictions in their um, statements that they've given to him previously. And it's up to you to find the contradictions Mm -hmm. in their testimony. So this character, after, you know, I go back and see him like five times... Um, they have little prompts that kind of help you too, and you can talk to your chief who will give you a little insight or else you'd totally be lost in this mm-hmm. game. Um, it'll say like, there's a contradiction, and then you have to go back and figure out who it is and, and what it is. In terms of finding a contradiction in a, um interview, it's really re- rewarding. I think it really works on that front. I think it falls into a trap, number one, of there are so many implied contradictions in someone's statement that you could pick up on that they don't want you to, or they don't want you to focus on that you'll you're just like this and this contradiction. And Mm -hmm. it's not, and you're like, no, it is, (laughs) you know, that really is a contradiction. Why, why aren't they picking up on it? It's because you can't have, you know, a, a story prompt for every single thing in a game. So I think games like this are always inherently slightly frustrating from that angle because they just want you to pick up on their contradictions that they're Mm -hmm. spotting, not on all of them. Um, Also, it is kind of open world a little bit. So it is kind of lacks a lot of prompts. If this was a real world. And at first my fear was that this is like a real time game in any sense. So for this hour, I have this long to ask my questions Mm -hmm. because I, in real life, I was a, complete madman just walking back and forth up and down this road (laughs) back to the same person after leaving and asking them the same question or whatever trying to figure it out and um, and that too is kind of like after a while you're like okay like I I need to stop walking (laughs) back and forth this game just needs to get on with it right Um, having said that I think it's really interesting and the reviewer um, Polygon gave it an eight, mm-hmm. which was enough to get me interested. In the review, he talks about how much he's a fan of this type of game and how it's not really a good genre. And her story is the first one to really be like, "This is a great game." Mm-hmm. Contradiction is not an eight. It's <laughs> it's a five, right? Five and a half, right? For in terms of what they do with it, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And at the end they kind of turn into a Kickstarter plea for part two. Oh really? Yeah. The people involved, it does make me feel like these are actual actors in a in a mm-hmm. murder mystery. Right. Like a dinner, murder mystery dinner there. Who are like, hey guys, let's take this um, show like to gaming. Mm-hmm. Um the controls, too, I think, are suited for an iPad, which is I think how it was in initially launched, right, so I had to do everything through my keypad, which okay was cumbersome, yeah, when you're just going left, 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 down, down, down to what you want to get to mm-hmm. and all that stuff that was a little much um. And it didn't make me want a part two at the end. And again, it gets really silly at the end. You really have to kind of turn your brain off mm-hmm. because they don't have endless locations. So the when mysterious stuff starts going down, it's literally right off the path from where he <laughs> is. And people are like, we're going to get that inspector. And they're like within earshot of right. the path. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's crap like that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it is inherently silly, I can't say that didn't get me caught up, and I think it's a good example of what games we can get in Mm -hmm. this genre, and it does get me excited. Like Mm -hmm. I keep thinking when we get the Gone Girl of interactive games, that would be a great day Mm. because I can imagine exploring that story through... An interactive experience where right. I uncover the twist. The twist isn't told to me, mm-hmm. where I need to piece it together. And then when I finally do, I get the reward of being like, right. Holy crap. Yeah, it you know? feels
1: more like a self discovery than it does like a narrative pushing forward. Exactly. The narrative inevitability. So let's talk about last week's recommendation. You okay. we recommended a podcast called Limetown. Yes. Um, which is, I guess, in the same vein as Contradiction, kind of, where it's like a, you have actors mm-hmm. playing a thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Acting out a script. Sure. Yes. It was not really my thing.
0: No, no, no. It's not mine either.
1: I would say, like Unfriended, I'm impressed with the production values, right? I'm impressed with their commitment to the form, I guess. But it's not what I look for in a podcast, right? Like, after listening to it, I went and looked at all my podcasts just to see how true this was. And there is not a single podcast I listen to that is like, that is fiction. They're all mm-hmm. nonfiction or like a comedy thing, right? right. Um, so it just is not really. And I guess the closest comparison would be like an audiobook, which mm-hmm. is also something I struggle with because it's like, I don't know, it's just it's so easy for me to get distracted when I'm listening to something. Like most of the times I'm listening to a podcast. I'm doing the dishes, or I'm mm-hmm. cleaning up the house, or I'm doing something where, at a moment's notice, I may have to just pull my headphones out and like you know change my kid's diaper or something. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean so when there's a such a like a when there's something that I have to like be following very closely and like remembering like kind of minute details, oh yeah, it's not really for me. I just can't do it. yeah.
0: Yeah. In Limetown, they've created the audio version of the Uncanny Valley in animation. Yeah. You know, where you don't want your animation to look too lifelike because there will always be an element, and usually it's the dead animated eyes that people will look at and just get creeped out by, and Mm -hmm. they won't be able to watch. And with this, the audio is too good in terms of the interviews that they have. So when they pull a guy and they're like, all right, here's Jim from the factory again. (laughs) And Jim's like, Bob, yeah, I remember him. Mm. It's like you can't get the the knowledge out of the voice that Mm. this person is playing the part and it's just uncanny enough to be like, this is an actor. Yeah. What am I listening to? Why am I listening to this? (laughs) You know, it's not real and they haven't. And I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can make a scripted thing sound live and sound real Mm. because you want to be good quality. You want Mm. everything to be like crisp and clear and for people to be able to hear at the same time it's never that way, Mm -hmm. you know, in this American life, it's just various sound qualities and the voices are, you know, pitched differently and whatever. And this is all super well produced. Yeah. And the, and the plot of it, I think is an issue. Having a plot is an issue. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of welcome to night Vale. That's one of the only other just pure fiction things Mm -hmm. that I have. Um, in my podcast roster. But that wasn't forced. Any narrative that is now coming out of it is something that they stumbled upon Mm -hmm. because they had no idea that this podcast was going to get as huge as it is. Mm -hmm. And I love it for that. And I've been with it through it getting its plot. Mm -hmm. For this, they're like, oh, we got the plot. You know, episode one, here we go, all the way to the you know, kind of cliffhanger ending of the first episode, which I was like, well, I knew you guys were going to cliffhang me somehow, and I just can't bring myself to care enough (laughs) about this fictional town and universe. Right. And there's way too much plot in it for me to follow. I don't know what they're... I don't remember even what the plot was about. And... Yeah. I think it's a noble... Experiment. Yeah. And like I said to you, we also listened to Startup by the podcast network Gimlet. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of bemoaning the fact that that's a guy from This American Life who's starting his own podcasting network and he wants to get all these unique new shows. And the two shows that he's producing seem like offshoots of This American Life. I mean, he's just kind of re populating the podcast landscape with more this American lives right. and they're all still working together. Right. I still hear his name thrown out like as a producer on this American right. life sometimes, you know, yeah. and, um, on different, um, shows that they do because I think they, they trade shows and yeah. segments. So I would much rather have people
1: trying things like this. Yeah. time doesn't work. Yeah. I think for the people that, Look for that in a podcast. I'm sure it works great. It just is not my thing. I don't it's know if it does,
0: work. though. I guess that's my next aspect. It's like, see what online community has risen up around Limetown. I don't anticipate it. Well, there's only big. been one
1: episode so far.
0: Right. But it has, and it's been one episode for over a week, right? It's
1: that, been a while. I, yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure. And
0: I'm like, where? what's their release schedule? Because they were right. pitching as an eight-week series. Jeez. So I'm like we're now deep in week 2 and I haven't heard anything like right. is this kind of like hey we did one we don't oh really no. like it either <laughs> let's scrap it this isn't yeah. working.
1: Okay, so my recommendation for you is not something I've actually asked you about so you may have already you may already be listening to this band uh in which case I would have to pivot and recommend something else. Okay. But my recommendation for you is a band called Day Wave? Nope. Okay. So they have an EP um, that is out. I'm not sure what the EP is called. It may just be called Day Wave. But just search Day, Day Wave Wave. on YouTube or whatever, and right. it'll come up.
0: It's not going to link to other things. No, yeah. Very easily. So
1: that's my uh, recommendation for you. Okay. And, I, and I heard that, like... I think it was like one of the first songs played on the Unfriended. Beats radio station. Oh. So when Apple launched the Beats, the worldwide radio, whatever that means, I it was on that day that it was launched. So I was like, okay, let me check this out. And I opened it up, and the first song they were playing, or the first song I heard them play was this Daywave song. I was like, wow, this is really good. Um. And I think their EP just came out a few weeks ago or maybe a week, not too long ago. So that's my recommendation. So you've been listening to Everything is Interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard, and I've been here with Keith Krepko. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at uh, Blizzard with nine Zs. I almost said yours for some reason.
0: Oh. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be interesting. We should, for (laughs) a week, exchange Twitter (laughs) handles and accounts. Yeah. See what happens? I don't know how
1: much uh, work I'd, I'd get in there. I haven't been tweeting really anything.
0: Yeah, I know. It, it would probably just be Sasquatch. <laughs> right. Nothing would change.
1: Yeah. Um, you are also on Twitter.
0: Yeah, at Things Come Right. Uh,
1: anything we talked about in the show, you can find in the show notes. Uh, Timestamps in the show notes, all of that hopefully, is in the uh, podcast player that you use. If not, you can go to eipodcast.com, and it is there. We are wrapping up our True Detective podcast tonight called Everything True Detective, um, so feel free to check that out if you watched the show. Uh, if not at this point, don't bother. Or even <laughs> if you
0: gave up on the show, and you yeah. just want to hear us <laughs> grouch right.
1: right. about it. <laughs> yeah. Um but other than that that's all we've got for uh this episode and we will see you next